Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Teaching is already a demanding profession. Recent years have added additional pressure with the sudden switch to virtual classrooms, the threat of a serious virus, and ongoing criticism from politicians and some members of the public. Education professionals say there is a major shortage of teachers now, further hampering education for all students. We'll ask what some Native teachers and administrators say can improve the high job vacancy rate. That's coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Oglala Sioux Tribe is supporting the creation of a new nonprofit youth mentorship organization. South Dakota Public Broadcasting CJ Keen has more. The new youth mentor group acknowledged its official opening recently during a tribal government signing ceremony. Tasha Friday is the national director of tribal programs for Friends of the Children. She says this represents an intentional step into Native communities. We've always served Indigenous youth, but never in the way that we're doing it here at the Friends of the Children Hesapa, which is grounded in cultural life ways. The staff is indigenous um, and culturally competent in understanding of the life ways and really incorporating that in every level. Tribal leaders work to ensure Friends of the Children would be a good addition to the community. Oglala Sioux Tribe Vice President Alicia Mousseau highlighted the effort of tribal government to vet the nonprofit. They really did their due diligence to make sure that this was a good program for our community and so we're excited to carry this forward. The Hisapa Chapter's executive director is Val Big Eagle. She says she is humbled by the support of the tribe's government. When nonprofits come in, we just are a little weary, right? And making sure that they're here for the right reasons and that they're doing things the right way and working with the community and not saying, hey, this is what you need to do to heal yourselves, but asking the community, what do you need from us to make sure that this can happen? And what healing informed practices would you like to see? The chapter aims to support 16 mentorships, open to Native and non-Native kids. They will start working with young kids four to six years old and continue through high school. For National Native News, I'm CJ Keen. The economy is usually a big topic during elections, and with midterms near, recent inflation woes are being felt, including in tribal areas. Indigenous leaders in North Dakota hope it spurs turnout. Mike Moen reports. Douglas Yankton, chairman of the Spirit Lake Nation, says inflation has impacted the programs that provide an array of services on his reservation. Even though some of the pressure has eased, the ripple effect is still there. A lot of those services don't go as far as they used to. Let's say transportation, for instance, with the prices of gas and oil and everything, um, we have to figure out new routes to accommodate for that full week. He adds COVID still is a concern. Cases were disproportionately felt by Native populations. And Yankton says local businesses are hurting with some residents worried about close contact, State Representative Ruth Buffalo, a Democrat from Fargo, says inflation impacts Native voters in urban settings, too. Buffalo says there's a lack of a commerce hub in Fargo to secure traditional Native food staples and other items. So, like, when we go to Minneapolis, we can stop at Native-owned businesses where wild rice might be sold or different types of coffee and, of course, jewelry. And she suggests the lack of a local hub makes it harder for local Native entrepreneurs to sell their products. On a broader scale, Buffalo says there's another key issue Indigenous voters are watching. 
we know that for decades, many people have been working um, behind the scenes to get rid of tribal sovereignty for their own benefit. And so we really need to get to the ballot boxes to protect tribal sovereignty. Buffalo is the first female Native American Democrat elected to North Dakota's legislature and is seeking re-election. One of her opponents, Republican Joshua Christie, says he would support tribal sovereignty. That was Mike Moen reporting. The Yurok tribe is hosting its first ever statewide policy summit on missing and murdered indigenous people in October. The Northern California Tribal Summit on MMIP is expected to bring together more than 100 tribal leaders, advocates, and lawmakers. Attendees will discuss historical and present-day contributing factors and explore remedies to reduce risks to indigenous people in the U.S. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media's ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of indigenous films at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. When the current school year started, many school districts struggled to find enough teachers. The National Education Association says there are 300,000 teacher vacancies around the country. Low pay, demanding conditions, and political pressure from uninformed outside sources are among the reasons education experts say teachers are leaving the profession. Some research suggests school districts that serve rural areas and special needs students are the hardest hit by a shortage of teachers. Some Alaska districts are hiring teachers from other countries. By the end of last school year, nearly all of the teachers in Alaska's Cuspic School District were from the Philippines. Today on our show, we'll delve into the national teacher shortage from a Native perspective. What's driving it? And what some Native educators are saying about it. Is there a teacher shortage in your community? Are you an educator? What are your thoughts on the number of teachers and vacant teaching positions in your school? Join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our phone lines are open. Producers are standing by. We're waiting for your call. So what are you waiting for? Give us a holler. Joining us first from Lacey, Washington, is Jared Kep. He is a Native Student Program Specialist and the 2022 Washington State Teacher of the Year. He is Wukchumni. Jared, welcome to Native America Calling, and congratulations. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here and in community with everybody today. Well, we're glad to have you in community as well. And, and let's get into this, Jared. So these teaching shortages that we're hearing about nationally, uh, how serious is it where you are there in Washington? Well, in Washington, we've fared fairly well. Um, that's not saying that some districts aren't hit 
with more challenges than others, but I feel like we've done pretty well. Uh, but schools have definitely had to adapt. We've seen an increase in class sizes, and we still really struggle with the number of substitute teachers that we need. So we have a huge shortage in substitutes. We still have uh, bus driver shortages. So we're still facing a lot of challenges, and I think the the real uh, the real self-reflection comes into how can we make public education uh, more inclusive and accommodating to the the whole being of an educator. Well, what do you think is driving these shortages? I mean, you mentioned substitute teachers, even bus drivers. Why aren't there enough teachers out there working in schools and these additional support staff that are so crucial to our educational system? Well, we have a lot of we have a lot of educators uh, that are passionate about serving their communities, and the issues I think really came through during the pandemic. It's shown a really bright light on the longstanding inequities within public education. And so early on, you know, you had this this big uh, national uh, you know support for educators, but that that weathered really quickly as frustration in families and communities grew that they, there was a lack of understanding that education had to fundamentally change overnight. And because of the way public education is designed in this country, it was unable to do it. And because it wasn't able to maintain the same, same level and style of education that people were used to, because we all know that being together in learning is a great way to learn, if not the best way to learn, that people grew disillusioned and they grew frustrated. And that anger got directed towards educators most of the time. And there was a disconnect from, I think, the results that families and communities were seeing and the, the lived stresses uh, of our educators who were pulling late hours trying to figure out how to make virtual learning work, um, who were running back and forth trying to get internet connections for students, buses as Wi-Fi hotspots. All of this work was really a, a, a sort of triage moment and where I think educators really shined in their passion and commitment to their communities. That wasn't always seen or celebrated by uh, the people they served. So teachers forced to adapt on the fly, pivoting that whole transition into remote learning and all the stresses of, of the pandemic. And um, unfortunately, teachers bore the brunt of a, of a lot of that frustration. So, Jared, I mean, I mean, what are their solutions? Because oftentimes we hear that teachers aren't paid enough. And um, in, in terms of professional occupations, they consistently rank at some of the lowest pay levels compared to their professional peers. So is that the answer, just to pay teachers more and give them a little more respect? Um, That certainly goes a long way. Um, But there's a lot more to it. We really have to start looking at the system of education to make it much more sustainable and much more fulfilling and supportive for the diversity of educators that we have now, but also the, the, the amount of diversity we want to increase. Because... Education remains a largely white profession. I think, you know, statistics vary depending on the district that you live in, but generally you're looking at about roughly 80% of educators are white and roughly 90% of administrators are white. 
And so that really makes an impact on the sort of uh, cultural environment, the amount of microaggressions that teachers have to bear, uh, the sort of um, educator of color fatigue and exhaustion that comes in from having to not only like show up for yourself and represent yourself, but also all the students that come to you and the students that you are looking out for. It comes into, you know, it, if we're just talking about Native educators, right? Um, what sort of opportunities do we have to receive uh, culturally relevant, sustaining wellness opportunities? Uh, what sort of opportunities do we have to engage in our ceremonies and reconnect with our communities? Uh, what sort of professional development is relevant to those of us in Native education or in diverse educational areas? And then we also have to kind of you know, keep working as we talk about inclusion, because much of the existing work and literature about diversity and equity and inclusion remains insufficient in addressing indigeneity. And so, you know, while we're increasing sort of awareness of sort of the needing to support the diversity in our teachers, we're kind of in an odd space as Native educators in that we're still kind of being erased by both sides. So that's shocking. 80% uh, nationally of, of teachers are, are white, 90% of administrators. And um, I mean, this is a long standing issue. W what's going on? Are they just, is the educational, um, is the field just not reaching out to, to Native people and other people of color? Why that a huge imbalance like that? Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a powerful question and a lot to unpack. But some of the highlights. Or we just have to remember that, um, you know, Native people, you know, we have uh, a rough history with American education, right? And and so it takes a lot to be able to um, find the opportunity and to, and to persist within this educational system. And so there's a lot more barriers uh, for um, Indigenous people and people of color just to pursue the career of education and then to get there to often be one of the only ones there as as a native educator in washington state i'm one of 0.7 percent of all teachers so then we got to deal with loneliness um and so there's a lot of of stamina that's required to kind of persist as as a native educator in the field and there also needs to be a lot more, uh, I think, intention about not just recruiting, but how do we sort of tend our garden of our educators? How are we making sure that we're looking after and caring for the teachers that we have and that we seek to support? And then I think long term, we also need to look at mentorship and leadership opportunities, right? What are the disproportionalities in veteran uh, teachers of color? getting uh, student teachers, right? What are opportunities for educators of color and, and native teachers to uh, advance in leadership? We get a lot of uh, news and press about programming to grow your own teachers, but we don't see that kind of moving on into that higher leadership area. And so we have to make sure that we have this sort of holistic progression and opportunity for our educators to really thrive to feel that they have a voice and to feel that they're they're truly valued. So let's go back now uh, to the pandemic, and, and as you said earlier, it was just so hard on teachers with regard to making these adaptations and adjusting. And there, where you work, and some of the native educators that you work with, how did you folks handle that just unprecedented 
challenge that you faced as, as Native educators? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a really, it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, but I remember sitting one day in my office with my colleague, um, just kind of like in the very early days, we, we knew things were coming. We were just kind of moving stuff out. And just having that realization and, and just reflecting, like, our ancestors have been here before. We're going to be okay. And I, I, and I saw that so much across Indian country uh, with, like, social distance powwow and protecting our elders. Like, this, this was something that our communities really rallied around, I think, faster than most because this wasn't new to us. And so we had this beautiful cultural history, this um, reconnection and tightening of our communities to raise each other up and protect each other that really gave us a lot of the cultural assets to sort of weather the storm. Um, but I, I did face a unique experience in my history of education in that while we were trying to create and discover like innovative solutions to maintain connection with our students and provide them you know, support in a virtual world, we saw ourselves like seeking and trying to reform that community in those times of trauma, just like we've always done. And so we spent a lot more time reconnecting as native educators and finding each other across the district and creating opportunities for us to come together and eat traditional foods and just kind of be together and share stories so we can kind of renew and tap into that inner strength so we can keep fighting in the journey. We're speaking with Jared Kep. He is the 2022 Washington State Teacher of the Year, and he's uh, giving us an overview of what that was like teaching during the pandemic. And uh, if you want to give us a call, maybe give a shout out to a Native educator that you have a lot of respect for, 1-800-996-2848. We're talking about the national teaching shortage and how it is impacting Native communities. We'll be right back. Some tribes are already finding economic opportunities with clean energy. Now the Biden administration is appealing directly to tribes to add wind, solar, and other clean alternatives to help boost their budgets. With federal funds for infrastructure and inflation relief, more tribes are willing to take the gamble. We'll hear more about it on the next Native America Calling. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the national teacher shortage and what some Native educators are saying about it. Is there a teacher shortage in your community? Tell us about it by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. You can also post on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Our Twitter handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest is joining us from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, Joe Coyer. He is the American Indian Education Program Coordinator for Detroit Lakes Public Schools. He is Turtle Mountain Métis. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Joe. Glad to be here. 
Joe, it's great to have you on the show. You've been here before. So tell us, uh, are you seeing a shortage of teachers there in Detroit Lakes? Um, first of all, I'd like to say congrats to Jared on his uh, 2022 Teacher of the Year. And he tied up your questions. He tied them all up in a nice, neat bundle. Uh, well done, Jared. Um, in our district, we are fortunate. We don't have um, the problem. There, there's just a couple teachers that we're still looking for, but surrounding us, they're having a little more difficult. Okay, let's go ahead and go to the phones. I think we lost uh, Joe there, unfortunately, but we've got Aaron listening in Hopi on KUYI. Aaron, hello. Hey, Sean, what's up, bro? Hey, not much, brother. How you doing? Thanks for calling. Oh, yeah, thanks for, for having me on your show. And um, I have a, a, a big, big uh, question for you. Um, these students, at least, start um, doing their, their work at school because they're, they're falling behind because if you don't do your work, you're not going to graduate because the teachers are there to help you. Okay. I'm, I'm very, very um, upset because these uh, this, this, uh, teachers need um, the students um, um, their help on their work. Okay. So Aaron, I, I like that quote there. If you don't do your work, you won't graduate. I, I'm interested to know, Aaron, do you, are, you, are you involved with education at all? Do you, do you spend time in classrooms or um, what makes you so aware of some of these issues with students falling behind and, and needing to be more mindful of teachers? Um, just like me, um, I, finished in, I finished in high school in class of 2009. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you've been out of school a few years. Well, Aaron, thanks for calling in. And, you know, I want to let Jared respond to that because I think oftentimes, uh, you know, I've been out of school a number of years, Jared, and we, we think to ourselves, oh, you know, these schools are, you know, they're not the same. They don't have the same type of discipline, but I, I think we need to be mindful of how much society is changing. Can you kind of just give us an overview, Jared, of, of how the classrooms and how the, the school experience has really changed in, in, in previous, in, in with recent generations and, and what that impact is on, 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 on students and families and teachers as well. Yeah. Well, I, to tie into the, the caller's wonderful comment, um, I think one of the things that we saw coming back from, from the pandemic was um, the, the students really needed to rebuild community, just like we all did. And so like in our program offices in our district, it was a matter of coming together. And we were pleasantly surprised to see not only our familiar students coming to our office to grab a snack, to have, you know, to, to engage in culture, to just have a chat and be with a familiar, familiar face, but we were seeing lots of new students come in. And the sense of trying to reconnect before they were getting back into into their schoolwork was a really positive sign uh, because we have to have community. We have to have grounding and, and sense of place and purpose and relationship before that good learning can begin. We have to prepare our, our spirits uh, so that way we can have a prepared mind. Um, and then I would also say that you know, it brings up a, a really good topic. There's been a lot of discussion about learning loss as if students only learn in school. 
And while, you know, some students, you know, really struggled during uh, the virtual learning, others thrived. And I think it, but I think it still underscores the fact that uh, this country values a certain type of learning and a certain type of learning that happens in a certain place. And so a lot of the work that we're trying to do in our state, in our district, is how do we recognize the wealth of knowledge, cultural and experiential and place-based, that our Native students engage in constantly, whether it's like Canoe Journey or Huckleberry Camp, language programs, uh, tribal government internships, right? These students are learning their education is fundamentally about nation building, and our school systems aren't naturally designed to recognize that high-level, highly valuable, highly relevant education that they engage in every day. So if our students are learning, and we need to make sure our students are prepared uh, for their communities, are we recognizing the learning that they're doing, and are we recognizing it in ways that are meaningful to the communities that they will that they are part of or will, or will return to? So it provides a lot of powerful conversations about what the future of education can be when communities come together to come up with solutions. Jared, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, as a society, we value a certain type of learning. And we're very cognizant of where it occurs, which I, I would imagine is why sometimes as, as Native people, we hear stories about how Native students kind of fall through the cracks because they don't necessarily connect with some of these, you know, more standardized metrics of what education is supposed to be. So let's go ahead and go back to, to Joe. We have him back on the line. And Joe, um, if you could, uh, you know, earlier you mentioned that you don't have a, a, a serious teacher shortage there in, in Minnesota where you work. And can you tell us why that is? What are you folks doing that's uh, been so effective at, at not only attracting teachers, but also keeping them there in your schools? Yeah, well, talking to our HR, uh, Kylie Johnson is her name. We, this is kind of the talk of, of it's been the talk of, of, you know, we're, we're barely getting it done, but we are getting it done hiring teachers. And, and we feel that the geological area that we're in is something that, uh, you know, a lot of people desire and find it, um, you know, uh, it's, it's a lakes area. It's uh, right on Highway 10, which goes straight into Fargo-Moorhead, which is a larger city. Um, it's about 25 miles uh, south of the White Earth Reservation. So we have a lot of our families that are, are living here, working in the, in the communities. Um, the, you know, the lakes, the summertime, all that stuff, uh, it's a big draw. And mm -hmm. yes, other districts have the lakes too in our area, but we also have uh, like just a lot more opportunities for students to pick, especially at the high school for electives. Uh, there's some neighboring schools that have two, maybe three electives. And, and we have quite a bit more than that. Our special ed area is something that we know that we can serve a variety of students with a variety of um, special education requirements. That's a big uh, draw. Our American Indian Education Department and um, what our parent committees say is that Detroit Lakes 
um, is a great place for kids to learn about their culture and also about the next step in their life. It's kind of a, it's kind of like the hub city for where you go to get ready for the outside world off the reservation. And so it's, it's kind of all tied up into one thing that people want to be here. They want to teach here. This is the place. So we're fortunate. Yeah, it sounds like, Joe. And your teachers there in Detroit Lakes, are, are they paid well compared to teachers in surrounding districts? They're, you know, we're, com- yes, we're competitive in that way, and that's what we have to do. Um, it's not a, uh, a major difference. Like a, a teacher starting out in Detroit Lakes is going to make right around 425, 43. Um, surrounding areas have probably a little higher base, but again, with the reputation that we have, uh, of, of our staff and school and our community, our community stands behind, they're big enough to where they can stand behind all of our programs and activities and stuff like that. So that's, that's another huge thing, um. So, yeah, we're competitive. Okay. Joe, what about some of these highly specialized types of teachers, like like some of these native language teachers? Are there challenges in in recruiting folks like that and and keeping them in schools as well? (laughs) Yeah, first of all, you got to find them. And then, uh, you know, chances are they live um, a ways away. They're kind of settled in, and it's for them to relocate and and stuff like that we don't have a lot of uh people to pick from that education you know most of our educators that we've had like we just had one signed on and he was legit he had a he had a teacher's license and everything and um then he just backed out and it was really frustrating but most of our people teaching the language and native studies they get their license through the state eminency process where they go to their tribe. There's a committee. They go through a series of questions and, and stuff like that. And then the committee signs off whether they are eligible to receive a teacher's license in the area of history, culture, language. And then they apply for that license through the state. And they they don't have to have one day of college schooling and they can get that license that's good but not everybody is cut out to be a teacher so they they require a lot of monitoring and 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 mentoring and and instruction help and curriculum and technology and all that stuff but it can be done um we also have a oh i'm sorry no go ahead joe continue i'm sorry well, in the state of Minnesota, there is, uh, you, you can go to, there's four different universities, University of Minnesota, Duluth, uh, Bemidji, I forget the other one offhand, but they will pay for your education if you're a student of color. Uh, and in our particular situation, we want to see our Native Americans go off and get a teaching degree that will be paid for. And, um, you know, even with that incentive, 
you know, I don't know how, what the numbers are, but I'd like to be, you know, we had a student that was going to do that and then backed out. So it's, it's uh, really frustrating. Okay. Well, I, Joe, I've got some friends that are teachers and, and one of my really good friends who is a teacher has told me that, that a big part of being a good teacher is, is classroom management. Just if you can manage students in a classroom, that's like a, a huge piece of being successful. But he also has told me that it takes time. It takes time to get to that point. So like from the time somebody comes in with a real passion for education and, and comes out of school, does their student teaching, and actually is in the classroom, like how long does it really take to grow a, a really high-quality, top-notch teacher? It doesn't just happen overnight, does it? No, no, no. If I could do it all over again, uh, you know, I'd do it differently. My structure, class structure, was based on um, more of behavior, and it was uh, an expectation required, and if you messed up, you suffered uh, the consequences. And as I began to, uh, when you establish relationships and you put that time into there, your management takes, it, it develops on its own. The, it, you know, you, you have to connect with the students and you have to be real. You have to be real. You can't necessarily go in there and flip on a switch and, and now you're Mr. Drill Sergeant or, or whatever. <laughs> you go out and go in there real, but you, you also need to, you know, if there's going to be learning done in this classroom, there has to be some set ways of, of how, the, how the kids come into class, what they do first, second, stuff like that. But um, the relationship is the most important, how you can connect, and, and you need to be real, but you need to be the teacher too. You can't be their friend. You have to be their, their instructor, teacher, an right. adult. But, you know, you got to kid around with the kids. You got you to gotta be very flexible and, uh, you know, have their back, so to speak. If they have a problem, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sometimes put yourself out there and, and advocate for them. So they know that they can trust you and you're cool now. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're cool. All right. Uh, that's Joe Coyer and he's up there in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Folks, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We've still got plenty of time to get your comments on the air. And uh, we have another person on the line, a, a, a principal, a school principal from the Navajo Nation near Gallup, New Mexico, Roberta Taya. And she's been kind enough to call in. Roberta, hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Roberta. Thank you so much for, for calling in. And, and tell us, uh, you're there in the Gallup uh, area, New Mexico, Arizona state line. Are you folks facing uh, some of these teacher shortages where you're at? We are, but I would say we have in the past, but this coming year, I really feel that um, the attrition rate has been higher than normal because, you know, we've had a very supportive um, state, the state of New Mexico, as well as the district, really put some effort into um, teacher salaries as well. So I know I was listening to Joe in Minnesota. He was talking about like the 
beginning salary starting at 42, but here in New Mexico, we have a beginning salary starting at 50,000, and then we have some incentive programs for new teachers um, coming in as well too. So the state did put aside money as well as the district did put aside some money, but that doesn't mean we still do not need teachers here in New Mexico or on the Navajo Nation. We do lack um, teachers um, in all our schools, not just public schools, but um, also what we call grant schools as well as the BIE schools too. Roberta, if you could do me a favor, we do have to take a break here, but if you could stay on the line just for a couple more minutes, I've got another question I'd like to ask you about what you're seeing there in the southwestern part of the United States with regard to teacher shortages. Folks, give us a call. This is a really, really interesting conversation regarding teacher shortages and how those shortages are impacting our Native communities, our Native students, our Native families. 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. You can also remember it easier just by saying 1-800-99-NATIVE. That'll get you through to our producers as well. We're standing by. We're waiting for your call. So what are you waiting for? We'll be right back after this short break. Early voting has started, but with possible changes in district lines and state election laws, it's more important than ever to know how, when, and where to vote. That's why AARP created state-specific election guides where you can find up-to-date information about how to register, where to vote, the rules for early voting, and key deadlines. You don't have to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the teacher shortage that is being reported across the country. And there's still time to join our conversation. Are you a Native educator? If so, are you seeing high vacancies at your school? Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We uh, had a caller just before break, and we still got her on the line, Roberta Taya. She's a school principal there um, near the Navajo, on the Navajo Nation, near Gallup, New Mexico. And Roberta, um, are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. Okay, great. So earlier we mentioned that um, there's a, in Alaska, that some of these school districts are recruiting teachers from the Philippines. And I know that there are a number of teachers from the Philippines there in your school district as well. And um, is that just to help meet some of the need to, to find some of these teachers that are just so hard to come by in this day and age? I believe so. I believe so. We do have a high um, population of Filipino teachers in New Mexico, as well as the entire Navajo Nation. But the thing about it, too, is when our Filipino teachers, they um, um, have visas, and they have to comply with their visas, too. So if they don't seek the, um, the status for citizenship, their visas expire, and then they end up leaving. They end up leaving the schools and sometimes the country, they go into Canada to teach, too, because, for an example, um, at my school, I, I have one with an expiring visa this year would be his fifth year as a teacher. And unfortunately, he's a very good teacher. And I know that Joe was talking about special ed, too. He's a special ed teacher, and he will be leaving us 
um, at the end of this year to go to Canada and teach in Canada too. So unfortunately, um, the visas play a big role for our Filipino teachers. They, they are very good teachers um, here on the Navajo Nation and particularly the school that I do work at. Roberta, thanks for calling in and, and sharing all those insights uh, from there uh, in the Gallup area. Appreciate it very much. We've got a, a third guest on our show today. Joining us from Memphis, Tennessee is Dr. Casey Wise. She is the Senior Program Director for the National Indian Education Association. Casey, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting NIA into this space. And it is definitely a privilege to also be able to share alongside Joe and Roberta and Jared, who are working diligently in the communities that we serve. Absolutely. We have some wonderful perspectives on our show today for, from teachers and educators from all parts of Native America. And Casey, if you could help us out and expand on this conversation a little bit in terms of you know what we're seeing on the national level, um, just how are Native students and their communities most impacted by these teacher shortages? That is a great question. And, you know, as we've seen on the call, it varies based on, you know, community, state, region. Um, but at the national level, I would say one of the, the challenges, and if it's okay, you know, we're talking about teacher shortage, and sometimes it's hard, it's good to flip that narrative and say, you know, we don't have a shortage of actual teachers. It's that we have so many teachers who are either, you know, leaving the profession or are struggling in positions or like Jared shared with the pandemic um, caused a lot of shifts. And so now it's how do we make sure that we can retain and recruit new teachers? Um, and so for a lot of our Native students the, the, in our communities, the challenge is um, there's multiple layers to that challenge. And one, as several of our, our other guests have spoken to, is having our Native students be able to have teachers that represent who they are and understand who they are and can build those relationships and also engage culturally with students. Um, one of the shortage, one of the challenges that we've been working towards in NIA through our educator initiative is really looking at how we can start from the high school level and recruit high school students um, and engage them in, in a desire to be a part of the profession like Joe was sharing, you know, hoping that one of the students in his um, district was going to do. And if we are able to um, demonstrate to students that this is a profession that, you know, can value who you are and that the more Native educators that we can get into this space, the more we can grow our own and build those relationships with tribal colleges and universities, um, then that will also increase Native educators into the field. So when our students and other educators in there can see, um, you know, a growth in pathways for language teachers, uh, language professionals and our experts, um, paraprofessionals and, you know, new and upcoming educators, that will really also just change the way that schooling and, and like Joe was talking about classroom management, that'll change the way that happens on the ground. Um, and in some of our communities, there's been a, um, a, a concerted effort to build relationships between tribes and, and villages and high schools and universities to create this pathway. But in other spaces, a lot of our um, students attend public schools. Over 90% of Native students are in public schools. And like Jared shared, the majority of our students are taught by either white or non-Native educators. Um, so when you compile 
uh, a lack of um, whether it's certified or folks to, who are having to get a license under emergency situations and be in the classroom, then those challenges are compounded. Casey, that's really interesting then, recruiting and looking at young people as young as high school age and reaching out to them early or inspiring them to, to look at education as a profession. So, um, and you know, we hear so much about, it's, it's a hard job teaching, right? It's a challenging job, um, burnout's really high. So what else can we be doing uh, as Native communities to better support our teachers and, and to foster more Native people into the profession of teaching? That's a great question. Um, burnout, burnout is one of those things that is happening in a lot of professions, but even more so um, in education because of the, the high demand of extra hours and uh, larger class sizes and having to wear multiple hats. Um, and several of our panelists today, you know, shared about that relationship building and really looking at the educator as a whole being. Um, we spend a lot of time, you know, I remember even as an educator going through training for classroom management and building relationships with students. But I had a teacher tell me recently, you know, I'm supposed to help my students with, you know, trauma and, you know, behavioral challenges. And yet I feel like I'm going through trauma, too. You know, what what is in place? for us as a school and as a community to support our educators who are experiencing the same thing, but they have to be, you know, the adult and the, and the strong person in the situation. So when there's a relationship between, you know, the school, the leadership, the parents and the community, and that relationship is focused on, you know, giving um, teachers and school leaders that space to be mentally and, and physically and intellectually and spiritually balanced or well, then that makes a difference. Um, I worked for a school leader who was very focused on wellness days or wellness afternoon or, or bringing people in to help us understand how to take care of ourselves. Um, and that made a huge difference as an educator. And that's something that our, our local communities, our, our, um, you know, our elders, there's so much wisdom and knowledge in that space that that's something that could come into the schools in order to support teachers. Casey, one, uh, what I hear sometimes in communities is um, you'll hear families, parents, and they'll, they'll kind of put the blame on teachers. Oh, the teachers aren't doing their job. They're, they're not, you know, they're failing our, our students. And then I'll, I'll hear uh, from the other side, teachers will say, well, we can't do this alone. You know, education, you know, parents have got to play a role. And a lot of this begins at home. So, What's your thought on that um, in terms of a really well-rounded approach to educating our, our Native students? Is, does everybody have to have skin in this game, parents, families, teachers, communities? Does everybody have a role to play here? Yes. Yes. Um, and honestly, that starts from birth. And I think that's one of the challenges Um a lot of times when those relationships aren't built, it's because students have, or, or our kiddos have been raised, they've been raised at home or they're raised by grandparents or, and they do the best that they can. And then all of a sudden it's kindergarten and it's time to uh, be a part of this whole new environment, you know, with other students and maybe with teachers that don't look like them or understand their community. And so you have a disconnect already. Um, and so when you think about, uh, what you say, having skin in the game or these relationships, it really starts from 
birth. And so when a community is able to support parents, um, have early childhood programs that are focused on language immersion, parent engagement, you know, cultural programming, even as they are learning language and getting those early foundations, when that relationship is also in connection to the school that is going to take students in at, you know, kindergarten and begin to move them through the system, that's really where that blame game can, can stop. Um, and it's so difficult because there's the blame on parents or the blame and the teachers. And in reality, it's just that lack of, that's that disconnect in the whole system. Um, it should be a, a continual community collaboration between school and home. And uh, it could be, you know, um, uh, social organizations, it could be uh, tribal supports. And when all of those are in collaboration and communication with each other, then there's no need for blame. And that child is supported holistically. We have another caller on the line. Marion, good luck listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM. Marion, hello, you're on the air. Good morning, everybody. I just want to say that I used to be a substitute teacher for many years in among many tribes and different states. And I think people need to apply. Native people need to apply for these positions. They're good pay. You get to pick your days. And you get to see what's going on in the school. And you have a real good influence on these children, young and older, in a good way because you have real life experience to share with them, whereas teachers are kind of um, in a rut and they uh, have to prepare and uh, give students this thing that they learned in college. Um, I wish people that I was a substitute teacher for would contact me and let me know how they're doing. I, I fell in love with these kids, you know, and I think that substitutes would consider going on to be teachers or administrators in their communities or other Native communities. Um, Marian, that's all I wanted to say. Okay, I want to ask you a quick question, Marian. Thanks for calling in, and I uh, appreciate all your service as a substitute. And for any of our listeners that are interested in that, what all goes into becoming a substitute, the, the type of training and uh, qualifications that a person needs? no training to be a substitute. They just hire you and you just walk into a classroom with a bunch of kids in there who are depending on, on uh, learning something from you. And I think my biggest influence was just being positive and telling them that they, they can be somebody, they can uh, do what they want to do if they go into college and you know, my mom told me since I was a child, you're going to college, you're going to college. Guess what? I went to college because it was just something that I was always told I would do. So in elementary school, I wanted to read. I wanted to learn um, reading. I wanted to learn about credits. Nobody tells you about credits. And then mm -hmm. nobody tells you about the real world, about your credit score and all of that. And I think substitutes have a real good avenue for doing that and helping kids, all Marian, kinds of kids, not just natives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 we heard 
Casey Wise comment earlier that, that everybody has a role here, and, and that's definitely a way that people can, uh, can support our, our Native education, our schools. And Casey, I, I want to bring you back into the conversation because you mentioned earlier that 90% of Native American students are in public schools, and, and we've got a couple of minutes before we have to wrap up the show, but I, I'd like to expound on that a little bit because um, you know we're seeing a, a trend uh, with regard to a decline in public education, and you know we're seeing you know efforts to to remove funding from schools and, and, and switching education around, and, and more emphasis on private schools and, and some of these charter schools and things like that. So going forward, how big a concern is that of you folks there at NIA in terms of Native students uh, in public schools and um, a decline in public education. You know, that's a really great question. Um, and I think NIA, we are in a unique position because we focus on, um, you know, really in helping tribes and supporting, you know, nations, Native nations build their own um, and enact their own education sovereignty. So at the end of the day, our belief is Native control of Native education and being able to grow our own educators and support our own students, whether they are in public or charter or tribally controlled or BIE, homeschooled, any of these settings. Um, so public education in, in its conception is a wonderful thing because all of our students, like we fully believe all of our kids need access to education that reflects who they are. Um, and also helps them to become um, productive, successful, and sustainable citizens according to the definition for their community. But as we talk about a decline in public education, for us at NIA, we're looking at that more as how can we shift the, the control and the sustainability and the, the influence and impact back to our Native nations. While, while we have seen, I think Jared spoke to, there wasn't a positive relationship. There's been a lot of trauma um, through the public education system. And now we have, like we said, a lot of our native students who are taught by um, you know, non-native educators and are going through the same standardized assessments and curriculum as other students. So our role at NIA is to support them and to support educators, native and non-native, to be able to teach students while also building our Native Nations education capacity to develop their own codes and create their own schools and establish their own systems so that our Native students can learn what it means to to carry on cultural knowledge and, and language, but also be a part of the same society that everyone else is and be successful but still feel and have that deep established cultural identity. We're going to have to wrap up our show now. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, all of our guests, Jared Kep, Joe Coyer, Casey Wise, and Roberta Taya, really appreciate you all sharing your insights on teacher shortages and education in Native America. Join us again tomorrow. We'll hear about clean energy opportunities that some tribes are taking advantage of. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application deadline is October 15th at online.nmhu.edu. If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, 
call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.